Welcome to Crony Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Waft. You're going to hear two intros, this one and one other one for this movie, because we broke it up in two parts. If you didn't look at the, the title and saw that it said part one, this is why. It's, there's two parts. Right. And who would have thought that the rookie would be a two-parter? And, and we're not talking about the TV show, which would make more sense if we had multiple parts for the TV show with, with Nathan Fillion. Or the Dennis Quaid baseball movie. The rookie, and then not in Rookie of the Year, because that's funky butt loving, right? Right. Rookie of the year. Now this is the, or the rookie with with Brendan Fraser. If you listen to the first part, you know we're talking about Clint Eastwood's 1990, yeah. the rookie. And you're, this is this is part two because oh, that no. thing was. Well, no, no, we're doing part one. We're doing part one first. Oh fuck! Now we fucked it all up. No, you're hearing the first intro, and then you're going to hear the original intro that we did when we started recording the episode, and it turned into a near silver bullet extravaganza of three hours and almost three hours and eight minutes. And there's no lag in this. There's a lot going on. Um, yeah. I can't, I, I can't tell you how many parts it is as we're recording this right now because I haven't cut it down yet. Um, but you'll have a little more information when you look at the episode and go, whoa, it's this many minutes long because I don't even know right now. It was a fun conversation. As far as uh, Clint's movies, it seems to be relatively obscure, which we talk about a little bit, even though it's Charlie Sheen in a 1990 movie. Like he's... He's he's a go-to guy, you know, at, at that point. He's a box office straw. We yammer on so much about it, but it's not a the kind of tone that Silver Bullet got. One of these days we'll actually put it out there for everybody to hear that. But when we got to when we got to a certain point, I think we were like at 220 or something like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're still talking about this movie. Uh, and it's hey, let's be honest here. It's a two-hour movie. It's not a short movie. It's not 90 minutes. It's not a hundred minutes. There's a lot going on in that movie too. It really like, is. And you'll hear it a lot because we 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 praise Raul Julia quite a bit in the movie. And it's deserved because he's phenomenal in it. So this is part one of this, and we don't need to keep yammering because it's already a long episode. <laughs> Two parts. Yeah, so enjoy it, and uh, we'll get back to you next week. Enjoy number one, and then next week, enjoy a good number two. <laughs> Ooh, man, that'd be a great lead into our, you know, good number twos. in the garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Woff. We are starting a new director series today. Um, but instead of the last one, like we did with four movies with Walter Hill, we're only going to do a two this time around, one from each of us. Well, here's what's funny. The first director we're doing after Walter Hill is somebody that, you know, we've always admired, you know, growing up hearing about, oh, this guy's movies are great. And most of the time, for me anyway, <laughs> it was always HBO when I saw all his stuff. And he didn't, wasn't old enough to see any of his movies in the theater because everything he put out was PG, I mean, it was, it was rated R. It was like you, you couldn't just, I couldn't be nine years old and go see a movie with him in it unless somebody was with me. Um, we have Clint Eastwood this time around um, and we're doing The Rookie. Now, this is <laughs> right in a moment where he's, a, I don't know, how far after Deadpool is this? 
Two years? This is two years after Deadpool. Two years yeah. after Deadpool and I think six. Two years and two years before Unforgiven. And two years before Unforgiven. He was in a weird spot right around this time. I recall somebody telling me that used to work really tight with the system. There was a point where his movies weren't doing very well. And there was some threat. And again, this is all rumor I had heard at the time um, when I was uh, my early 20s. That Clint was kind of on the outs with Warner Brothers. And things weren't looking great for him. Like possibly he was going to be asked to to leave the, the lot, which I always chuckled at. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> Never sounded accurate to me, but but that but there were those kinds of rumors surrounding him at this time. And so instead of making a cookie cutter cop movie or making another Dirty Harry movie, I think they said, hey, let's take this Dirty Harry script uh, and let's lethal weapon it up <laughs> and put a little lethal weapon taste in there, a little bit of either lethal weapon two flavor in there where the humor's coming in. Oh, yeah. And they make this 1990s The Rookie with Clint and Charlie Sheen, Raul Julia as the baddie, Sonia Braga as the baddie's sister, girlfriend, yeah, I mean, wife. I'm confused about <laughs> I'm confused. Uh, are they brother and sister? First of all, yeah. Um, uh, there's a weird chemistry between them, but nothing really ever happens. But there's like, she's got this, like, I don't, you know, she's like putting the make on everybody. I was wondering if, like, you know, is he her impotent lover? His dick doesn't work. So she just, like, you know, and he gets off seeing her fuck other people. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah. it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, and it's, it's, it's such a weird vibe at the time, Sonia and, and Clint were an item and they were at that point pretty right halfway through their relationship with someone around there. And think about Clint, he's a long-term dude. He doesn't just date somebody. He's like, he's committed without the ring kind of thing. And he seems to be that kind of guy. There's a loyalty to the dude and it's, it's not just loyalty to the woman he's seeing. He's loyalty to crew. I mean, he always uses the same dudes on, on his projects. Um, he's got, uh, I can't tell you when Joel Cox's editor started with him, but he's been with him forever. Um, Jack N. Green, who does the the cinematography in this movie, he's been with Clint as his DP from Heartbreak Ridge forward, even though he was doing second unit and just camera ops stuff before that. So he's been with Clint for a long time. Again, he's very, he's very adamant about, I'm um, having the same folks and because there's a, there's a shorthand with working people like that, that know what you want. That's how the man delivers on time and under budget. And that's why he always gets to movies made that he wants to get made because he's efficient. He's experienced. And sometimes things get, are a little less than exciting when he makes a movie sometimes. Uh, they just, because of, well, they just get drawn out a little, you know, yeah. they just get drawn out. Um, you know, he's not fancy, man. There's no trick shots. No. He's, he's, he, you know, Oliver Stone was making things like JFK and getting, you know, fancy in the edit room and, you know, crazy storytelling. Clint, you know, Clint's very old school, like, you know, Don Siegel. You know what I find weird, man, is this is like, this is only a $10 million movie. According, right. You know, this is this, this movie was made for $10 million and it seems like it's way bigger than that. Like, I mean, it, it does. And I feel like the, the, the moments where they get or spending all the money, like you, where's the money being spent? First of all, you say 10 million isn't very much. The opening scene maybe is a big chunk of it. 
the opening scene, yeah, there's a that that's that's expensive. I mean, that's that's a lot of car action. It's like shutting down. The, I mean, I know from having for what we had to do on Unhinged, you know how much money it takes to shut down um, highways and uh, <laughs> long stretches and run. You know, right. it's it's not easy and it's not cheap. No, there's that. You know, and there's a couple other things in here that you know. But I mean, really, I, mean, I don't know. Ten million. I mean, ten, ten, I was shocked that it was only ten million dollars uh, to make that movie. Well. When you see the movie, though, I'm going to find my take. $10 million seems doesn't seem like a lot when you've watched the movie. $10 million being spent on a Clint Eastwood studio movie in 1990, that seems low when you just look at it yeah, on the surface. Face, right. In the 90s, dude, they were making any movies for $10 million. Well, yeah, because they're too busy giving out $2.5 million for a fucking spec script back then. Because, yeah. yeah. Because oh, that was the word. What a word. That was such a shitty time, dude. I wanted to just be a writer. I wanted to work for, I wanted to write for a living. I wasn't looking for some massive payday. And then all of a sudden, every wannabe in the country moves to you know LA. What? I wish this movie had been written by Joe Esterhaus. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? Right? Clint, Sonia Braga, Raul Julia, and Joe Esterhaus, the yeah. rookie. <laughs> <laughs> we ask you a question. Let's do some alternate casting us before you even get into this. All right, let's do that. All right. I mean, I have no problem with, with Clint playing the part. But, you know, in this situation, you know, Clint is clearly playing the, the Murtaugh character and Charlie Sheen. He is not not by his age anyway, but he's definitely being the Riggs here. Well, actually, oh, like a more of an amalgam of Riggs and Murtaugh. He's still he's he's, pieces of. Yeah. Yeah. He's uptight, but he doesn't he goes Riggs at the end. Just out he's of haunted. nowhere. Well, he's haunted. <laughs> right. He's haunted because he killed his brother <laughs> in his mind anyway. Right. Uh, or did he? We, I, don't, I don't even know if there was a brother, dude. <laughs> I already lost one son. Oh, and did I, I still think uh, there's moments in there I go, a different movie. You know, this is Charlie Sheen's you know, character. David Ackerman is is actually a schizo and he's a um, multiple personalities. <laughs> and then so when his dad says to him, I already lost a son, I'm like going, is the dad even really there? <laughs> is the dad really there? Is it was there really Look, a brother? And could you just do this movie with Clint and Tom Skerritt as partners and just <laughs> not have Charlie Sheen in the movie? Or, oh my um, gosh! Or what if what if perhaps it's what if it was Keith Gordon and Clint Eastwood? You know, Keith Gordon was hot off of uh, you know things like um, Back to School. <laughs> Dude, I have to tell you something. And there was a moment last night, again, I think I told you earlier that I was trying to kind of wrap up my notes for the end of the third act. And I was kind of, one of the things that struck me funny and I'm like, oh no, is this a sign of things to come when we record is the silver bullet thing. Uh, right? Yeah. When, I, when I'm like, I reminded, but the silver bullet portion of the movie and and there's a silver there's two silver bullets in this movie and one is on a necklace around uh, Raul Julia's neck and these other ones are on Sonia Braga's neck and we'll get to that but when I guess it really hit me in that moment I'm like oh my gosh we're not gonna be nice to this movie I but, was like what are they are they are they I, I was like are they like Brazilian are they Argentinian werewolf Nazis <laughs> <laughs> Why, why, you know, I mean, um, uh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, well, that's the other thing too is, uh, so who do you cast? Because I, I don't really have any yeah. problem with Raul Julia. No, he's, one, dude, he, literally is, he literally is the best part of the movie as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Um, from the standpoint of delivering a, a believable performance. And he's, he's fun and he's, and it's funny because he's not, 
over the top. No. This might this might be my second favorite Raul Julia performance. Yeah, I think he kind of does Gomez Adams and then dials it down. I think kind of yeah, feel like he's there sure. with the with the little snarkiness. And his and his one liners hit, unlike everybody else's one liners. Right. I don't think everybody else's works the way his does. No, everybody. Well, everybody else is taking the sledgehammer approach. I feel oh, like you remember that TV. Remember the TV show Sledgehammer? Yeah, I love Sledgehammer. That's good stuff. Right? Yeah. But you know, I feel like everybody else is like they're 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 like auditioning or they're like, you know what, man? <laughs> I marathoned the entire fucking series Sledgehammer. I'm gonna do my character right out of sled. I mean, I feel like everybody else is like from Sledgehammer or a Naked Gun movie. Yeah. So yeah, who would you so recast Charlie um, at that time in 1990? Uh, River Phoenix. I take that. That would work. Right? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah I mean, essentially, right that running on time, River is kind of like how um, Leo is in The Departed. He's kind of like that age. That yeah. Kinda, and, you know, he'd already been nominated for an Oscar at that point. Yeah, I can right? see that. Yeah. You know, why not? All right. So, River Phoenix. So, who's Nick? Who, who, who's, who, who plays uh, the veteran Nick here? Who's replacing Clint? Who replaces Clint in that movie? Um, <laughs> Warren Beatty. <laughs> I could see that. Maybe not this. Maybe not this version of the movie, but I could see that. Right. Well, or how about uh, how about Richard Gere and River Phoenix? There you go. That's perfect. It, it, having yeah, right. that's perfect. Richard Gere, River Phoenix. So, do you keep Sonya in there? Um, I think. I think you kind of have yeah. to. <laughs> I think so. I think you have to. I think her and Julia stay. Yeah, because I because th- they are they do exactly what I expect them to do. They they're believable. Right. Oh, you know what, dude? Kevin Costner and River Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, Costner was huge. Yeah, but was he was he teetering on having that? No, kind of, he was. He was too young. Probably not. Yeah, he might have been. He was. That was a couple of years out from the bodyguard. Maybe stuff. now. Maybe maybe now. If they made if they made this now, you could put him and somebody else. Anyway, all right. So that's. I mean, that's good. And I want to leave everybody else in there because their yeah. their performances completely. I don't know. I think they're making a different movie. <laughs> well, you're right. They're, yeah, exactly. They're all you know. Like I said, they all went to the sledgehammer school of acting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but we're, it really started off like a silver bullet episode. Well, so far, we're ranting. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just kind of get into it. In the typical Warner Brothers fashion, you get the logo and they got this, the music, something that you pointed out to me too. Yeah, man. I actually dig the music in this. It's so weird though. But the opening strings, when you're hearing the credits, when you're watching the credits come up, it's very much like the the strings that you hear at the beginning of Lethal Weapon before. Yep. Yeah, it was, it's, and, but then it just, it goes away fast. It goes really, really fast. And we open up and there's this giant room with a table and three like shadowy figures sitting at the table. Right. It looks like a 1984 Eurythmics video. Yes. <laughs> and they get the, they get the Dutch camera angle going. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. It's I'm so like, weird. I swear to God, dude, if Annie and Dave fucking Stewart rock. And, and then I was like, oh. No, we, we, <laughs> that would have made the movie instantly better right there. <laughs> I feel like we should put some Eurythmics music underneath. Yeah. They should have been in, they should have been two of the interrogators. <laughs> that would have been the best. That would have right? been like, that, that, that's that Bill and Ted fixture, man. Annie Lennox in a leather police costume. <laughs> Loving the best. Anyway, so the door opens up and all militant like and at attention in come I guess that Charlie Sheen kind of standing there. 
at attention and whatever. Hey, look at that. It's Charlie Sheen. So they ask him, like, hey, what's your name? And he says, David Ackerman. Now, you'll hear me once in a while refer to him as David in this, but mostly I say Charlie because that's how we do things. So they ask him, like, what's your name? And he says, uh, David Ackerman. Well, how long have you been on? This is the, by the way, this is a, he, he he's having this moment where like, here's your exposition right off the bat. Here's an introduction to a character. And now we're going to start talking about how long he's been a cop for without having to put a superimposition and explaining it to us. It's pretty, it's pretty heavy handed, honestly. Oh yeah. He's like, how long have you been on the force? And he says, I've been on the force for two years, sir. Now speak up. I will, um, sir, two years. And so they start questioning him about uh, obviously just, applied for um, a detective position right. at burglary out, you know, basically grand theft auto division of burglary. And he's like, it's, I want to do this. You know, I'd rather do this than work in homicide. Like most other hot shots, as they say. Right. And, and this is such a funny moment too. Where he's like, and I, plus I love chasing G rides. <laughs> G rides, dude. I mean, I know what it means. It's just funny that he said it, you know, G rides, Mr. Ackerman. Yeah. He's like, oh, sorry, sir. Grand Theft Auto. G-Ride. It's so weird, man. All of a sudden, it starts elevating the questions. I'm like, wait, this doesn't seem like, oh, is he having a dream? Right. Well, yeah. So the the simple questions turn into an interrogation. And now he's just getting hammered. You know, do you have any other siblings? That's a lie. And just this whole thing. That's a lie. That's another <laughs> lie, David. Yeah, I love that the woman is the one saying that. It's just, that's coming at him. I thought that was kind of funny. Good, nice choice, Clinton. Right? Make the woman say you're a big, fat liar. You're a liar. Which, and then, so they're hounding him hard. And then now we're seeing two kids. And they're and then one is on the other side of a building. And the other one's encouraged the other one to run and jump across. And it, it, do you notice the change in film stock? Because now it looks yeah. like a dream sequence from a Freddy Krueger movie. Yes. I'm expecting, <laughs> like, one of them to start skipping rope. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So then, then, boom, he wakes up from his nightmare. And I'm like, oh, see that? Dude, and, it, and, it, and suddenly we're in, Lethal we- we're in a Lethal Weapon movie. We get our first moment of Martin Riggs's trailer, only it's not Martin Riggs's trailer. It's a nice little house. Uh, and, uh, you know, where, where do you think? I mean, I don't even know where they live, but it's no. a modest house. Chatsworth. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Granada Hills. Granada Hills. Well, it's funny too because he gets he's shitty with her right away. Sarah, his wife, girlfriend, whatever she's supposed sister, to be, sister, whatever she is, <laughs> cousin, third cousin. Man, he's in bed I, with I her. I have no idea. Yeah, it's. It, but what's funny is how aggro the woman in the dream was, yelling at him, and then yeah. when he comes out of the dream, he's yelling at a woman. Well, again. he has mother issues. We yeah, find out later. One hundred percent, and that's right? the thing. I think it's why the reasons why he's so shitty. Yeah. To Sarah throughout the whole movie, he's he's an asshole to her. He's mad. Yeah, he's fucked up. <laughs> and it's something until I like realize that you're seeing it a couple of times recently. I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, you're kind of a dick to women, man. Yeah, because uh, he has he has his fair share of uh, more than again, you know, Braga gives him reasons to not like her, <laughs> but, right? Which we'll eventually get to. And it's so weird. This whole thing is like you know, what. A boyfriend, I mean, a girlfriend, wife, whatever she's supposed to be. And she starts asking, are you okay? What's wrong? He's like, oh, nothing. I'm okay. I'm just worried about the test tomorrow. It's the dream again. (laughs) And another movie would have been, are you having that dream again? (laughs) But you know what? Like you said, Nightmare on Elm Street, man. (laughs) 
You can't have your dreams haunting you. That's bullshit. Anyway. Yeah. Not when you're a grown up. Right. So then again, this is something that kind of weird, you know, it's still, it's, it's not moonlight coming in, right? It's daytime when he wakes up, right? It's, it's morning. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, the sun is, maybe the sun is up. It's, it's a weird light coming through, but yes, I think it's day because he's, you yeah. know, he, he gets up to go to work. Yeah, I, I'm questioning the the continuity of this because then they cut to the next shot. It's nighttime again. It's the well. I think we're just meeting him, and then we we jump to like a the, you know the, the the it's a jump cut without any sort of like right. notice or like hey here here's where we're at now seven p.m. blah blah blah. We're just. It's night and we're not with him anymore. We're with Clint. <laughs> right. I, I just, I, I was thinking that would have been a, a good time to, to say, Hey, you know, say to hold, to sell the whole thing a little bit better that he was, he's not old school. He's not this. Cause while he's sleeping and having nightmares, Clint's out with his partner, you know, sure. That kind of thing. But I don't know. G ride. I don't know why they made it. I don't know why they had to make it at night. Cause if the, I mean, that's not, unusual to see somebody wake up in a cold sweat at night. So I don't know, whatever. Um, so yeah, so we cut to uh, an auto transport truck and just, that just parks and then in a dark alley, <laughs> they're prepping to load it up. They're pulling out the ramps and everything and getting things all, all uh, ready. And we're getting a little montage, you know, we're intercutting between um, the truck and the guys at the truck prepping for uh, to load and now we're seeing cars being stolen all over town. And it starts off with this red Porsche and then cut to a different red car coming down the alley and loads it up and then driver takes off who I'm pretty sure that's Max, right? Yes. Max is the first guy. Max will come back later on. Max, by the way, I think uh, to kind of sidebar all the the names that we know in this, like, like, like Max, like little Felix, Clint's got a lot of, a lot of informants. <laughs> he's, Dude, got, he's got a lot of, there's a ton of people working for him. I feel like, uh, he, that, that Raul Julia's crew is mostly working for Clint. He, they're double dipping. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They are. They're opportunists. That's why, that's why Raul Julia is, you know, he's the, he's the world's worst international car thief. <laughs> he can't pay his fucking debt. Cause half his people are fucking rolling over on him. He's losing, he's losing 50% on every fucking heist. Yep. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Anyway, it is though. true, right? I mean, yeah. all of them are. They're yeah. all de Clint's dealing with all of them. So the Porsche shows up and it loads on, and then we see another car getting getting stolen. But this time, this guy's a little more. He's not jimmying anything. He just takes keys out of a valet lockbox and hops in the car and takes off. And we dolly down, and it's an unmarked police car. And who's in the car? But our man Hal Williams from two two seven. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was so stuck when he's there. I'm like, oh shit, I forgot Hal's in there. That means you're dead because I don't remember you being in the movie. <laughs> and you gotta die to bring the rookie in, right? Right. So, dude, he's come on. That's Smitty Smith from Sanford and Son. I know, but I was just making a two two seven. Yeah, two two seven. Yeah. Well, because how often can you? If you can, can make a two two seven joke, you should make it always. So, uh, and they follow the stolen car, obviously on a stakeout and, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. I'm like, Oh, I forgot they've been working this case for a while. And they make a bunch of references to that at the beginning of here. They call it and they follow the car for a little bit, you know, keeping a proper distance, that kind of thing. And out of nowhere, <laughs> this car pulls out in front of them out of an alley and it's Sophia Braga. And I'm like, Oh, well that wasn't 
an accident. <laughs> no, it certainly was not. So. And there's a long stare between her and Clint. Yeah. Almost like she's been keeping an eye on them. Right. As much as they've been watching Morales. And we discover later on, it's probably not too it's probably far true. off the truth. No, it's not. She's <laughs> definitely been keeping something on him. Putting it on him. Eventually. Again, maybe she was working for him. We don't know. He, everyone else is on payroll. Yeah. Oh, dude, that means that she paid, that he paid her for the, uh, you know. Yeah, well, why not? Okay. That's, that's, that's how she was getting paid. <laughs> so anyway, Sophia Braga, uh, before she, as she's driving off, Hal makes some kind of crack about, oh, it's vintage, man. That's a classic. Sure is. Sure is. I guess, <laughs> I was like, man, all you see is cars, you motorhead, or something to that effect. He's like. Right. You gearhead. I was talking about the woman. He goes, so was I. And I'm like, oh, man. See, this is, there's moments like, yeah, like, this feels like a Dirty Harry movie in, injected with, with uh, lethal weapon isms. And oh, yeah. Uh, that seems to be a line that either one of Murtaugh or Riggs would have had in that moment. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so they uh, they catch up to the stolen car. We cut back to the transport truck, and now it's, you know, they're, hey, man, Morales is two minutes late. And then we see just shadowy figure, right? He's like, oh, we're out of here. And Locos is kind of like, yeah, you shouldn't be getting your hands dirty, Angel Blanco. What do you do? It reminded me of Code of Silence. Yeah. Why is he there? Why is he there? And then he leans in to the light and he says, and what? And miss all of the fun? Just, okay, fun one-liners that only seem to land when Raul Julia says them. Everybody else says them. Like you said, they're way too heavy-handed with their deliveries. And on top of them, probably not being very funny jokes to begin with. No, man. Finally, Morale shows up and loads up his stolen car and, and then now Loco's just giving him shit. I'm like, you're late, man. He's just like going, ah, you know what? I'm trying to keep you all on your toes. You know how I roll. Whatever. <laughs> so Morales takes off and then up pulls Hal and Clint, man. Hal and Clint's like, ooh, shit. They see the transport truck getting all loaded up. And, and this is where you find out through some expositional chatty chats that they've been working this case for a long time, which is why they were staking out. And follow Morales around because he knew they was going to be tonight was the night. Now, at this point, I don't think is do they know Morales is in on it? And at this point, it's just little Felix is the only one that we know that's one of his informants. We don't even know it at this point, but that's probably we don't know that Morales is in it yet. No, yeah, they throw in their cherries and pull up and pull up to the truck and they ID themselves. Ah, oh, police officers. <laughs> and this is we see Xander Berkeley. We saw him earlier kind of helping them get the truck all prepped up for the for transport. And, you know, Xander from playing the, the foster father, Todd, from Terminator 2 and a bunch of other stuff. And, and like most things, he's, eh. He's, eh. Yeah. 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 Say, so they, hey, who's up front in the cab? And they go, oh, it's Santa Claus. <laughs> so they start, again, 1990s movie, start taking yeah. shots at him. No one's, no one's shooting. <laughs> and yet the response to the Santa Claus crack is to go ahead and shoot them, shoot towards them. Shoot the car, man. Yeah. Close the window because I'm the tooth fairy. I'm the tooth fairy. Try again. When he said tooth fairy, I immediately thought of Last Action Hero, which would have been right. I mean, isn't that what isn't isn't he called the tooth fairy in that movie? Uh, Noonan's character isn't there a killer called the tooth fairy in uh, Last Action Hero? Or am I thinking of some other? Or am I crossing it with some other movie? Probably crossing them because I don't think. What's the Ripper? Yeah, the Tom's the Ripper, right? Yeah. 
Uh, I could be wrong. Like I said, I've only seen the movie once. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. It didn't imprint on me, man. Yeah, apparently not. No. Anyway, they say, yeah, there's nobody else here but us. And Hal goes up front to check out the cab. And he goes, hey, yeah, man, nobody's here, Nick. And he closes the door, the door closes behind him. And there's Raul Julia standing there. Oh, the two fairies from Manhunter, right? That's Tom Noonan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, That's there's your, there you go. Yeah. Noonan. I it was Tom play. Noonan. I was, yeah. There you go. How could I ever confuse Manhunter with Last Action Hero? I don't know, but I'm going to cut that out so the world doesn't know you made the mistake. Good God. Because <laughs> I'd miss it too. And Wolf looks silly for a movie that we plugged the shit out of. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oops. Tooth Whoops. Fairy. It was not the movie with The Rock. I'm the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> and he shoots out the window. But see, when you said Tooth Fairy, I got the joke, man. I I, I got the Tommy Newton joke aspect right. of it. Yeah, totally. I think it's just because we had been talking about Last, Last Action, Action Hero. Hero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so there's Raul Julia, surprise, and, and then almost, and he shoots Hal dead, man, and then I was a big shootout, and then everybody's pulling out their guns, and everybody's shooting, and Clint runs up, and the transport truck takes off, and he runs up to find Hal dead, by the way, I love when he drives past him, and Hal's got the wide open, wide-eyed open death look. Yep. <laughs> It always makes me laugh. I just feel like, can't you just sit there with your eyes casually open? It's always, um, I'm in shock. I just got shot face. So he chases after the truck. And now the truck's on the 110, supposedly. <laughs> they got some signs properly done up where it says the 110, I think. Right? Yeah, so, no, because they're, they're definitely up in San Jose. Yeah. This whole car chase. It's pretty good. And then this is where the score kicks in. Isn't the score so interesting? Like through this, it's not what you would expect for a car chase movie. No. It, you know what it reminded me a lot of? It reminded me a lot of Schiffer and music. It reminded yes, me of 100%. something that didn't really fit in with what we were it, watching. Dude, it sounded like, I, like I texted you, it sounded like it came right out of a Sinatra, Tony Rome yeah. detective film. Yeah. <laughs> 1968. Yeah. Just this. Almost like the music really doesn't go with anything. They just had this cue. Let's <laughs> just go ahead and use that. It never, it's that kind of music where it doesn't really, I mean, it works in Bullet and most of Lala Schiffer and stuff, it works. But his stuff is written for certain things. I almost feel like there were some outtakes and they just stuck them in the movie. But well, but I mean, this is this is is, is it Lenny? Is it Nihas or Nihas? I mean, he's you know he's Clint's composer, you know, kind of partner for all all of these movies. Bird, uh, you know, all everything Clint had was doing it during that time period. So I mean, I, I think it just feels out of place. Yeah. Well, again, it it go. You know, it would have it would have been convincing in the Iger sanction, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, I'm just saying. It seems like it's about 14 years too late. The the trucks ramps were still deployed, so they're sparking up everywhere. From the moment it takes off from the alley, it's sparking, and oh, they yeah. keep that up throughout the the freeway chase itself. And Clint catches up with them, and now Clint and Loco are having a a shootout <laughs> Mar and you know Marco Rodriguez playing the part of local he's just hanging out in the back by the cars on the trailer part of the air of the truck and he's just having taking shots at Clinton Clint's just driving his his cruiser trying to keep up with them again it's very lethal weapony except for if it was Riggs Riggs would have already been in the car Murtaugh would have been still in the in in the car and then Riggs would have been on the truck yeah, he would have been already there. We kind of see something like that in Lethal Weapon Four. Yes, right with the with with them towing the the modular 
modular house or office. Yeah, that's four, right? Yeah, yeah, four, not three. Yeah, the one that they shot in Vegas. That that right. scene they shot in Vegas. This is actually pretty. That that's interesting to me. That's why the music stands out because I'm expecting to hear that type of music, that those lethal weapon cues in this moment, because it feels very much like something we would have seen Richard Donner do, well, just a year before with Lethal 2, where they really upped their their action game in that one. Dude, Raul Julia is driving like a crazy person <laughs> because he's the one driving the, the truck. Again, he's very much like Henry Silva, and he's very hands-on, apparently. Yeah, man. <laughs> I need to be everywhere. At least he says in the beginning, though, right? He says, oh, and I yes. miss all the fun. Uh, this, is part of, this is part of the job, man. That's why I got into the game, man. Yeah, <laughs> to play. Now Marco starts dropping all the new cars. <laughs> he starts pushing them off the back of the truck to prevent me and Clint from keeping up with them. And now like, Clint's doing a great job of dodging them. But now all the cars that are, he's just narrowly missing are crashing into vehicles behind him and just creating all this carnage. I don't know. It feels like an episode of Chip sometimes, but it's at night. A little bit. A little bit. Same type of, same type of, same type of thing where they're using old vehicles that most people probably wouldn't drive. And keeping those the, the nice red cars that we saw stolen early on, they're not being dropped anywhere. <laughs> they're still on the truck. Yeah, no, no. Totally. Until. <laughs> until. Until Raul decides that, you know what, I'm going to release the trailer. <laughs> so he releases the trailer and the trailer starts to turn and then it flips. And it does a nice little roll thing. Not as impressive as Alan Graff's bus, bus roll, but... It's still pretty crazy. I've never seen a tra- you know, tractor, I mean, a, a, a truck trailer like that just turn over and kind of roll for a little bit and scrape. And of course, Nick crashes into it. Doesn't Nick drive his vehicle up into it? Yeah, he does that. I'm yes. Sorry. He drives his cruiser at the back of the truck just before this. So he kind of, that's why I couldn't remember how he got on the truck. That's why. And isn't that why Strom lets it go? Because right. he's right. driven up on it and he's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. He's already gone before the the... The trailer even crashes. He escapes, and <laughs> a couple of people run up to the, uh, to the to the trailer and saying, "Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you okay?" And Clint stands up and he just pulls out a cigar. Right? It, look, it looks like an exploding cigar, like it blew up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which we see more than once in this movie. Yes, we do. He's like, "Hey, man, do you need any help?" And then Clint just goes, "You got a light?" And then he just falls face first, and <laughs> that's out of frame. Right. The first of many very out of place one liners, like they were like they're making a cartoon. There's moments where they're just this is clearly uh, the Scott Spiegel, yeah, uh, aspect of it. This is that was very much a campy type of line you would have seen in Evil Dead 2, something along those lines. It's just weird, doesn't make it's really bizarre. No, it, it, it doesn't really fit. I mean, I don't, you know, you know, after a guy who, you know, make my day and feel lucky punk. We get got a light, got a light. That's that's yeah. It just you know sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I just kind of took it as like it didn't really offend me. I didn't think like God, that's so not funny. But I just didn't think it like was funny. No, or it didn't do anything for me. I just was like, is that a character thing? Uh, you know. Whatever. Yeah. Sure. Like, is it a <laughs> test for? Is he testing Charlie Sheen later on? Yeah. Weird. Clinton, we follow Clinton now. He's inside the police station and he's and all the other officers are giving him condolences for, for Hal's death. And well, Palmer is his name in the movie. And uh, he gets right to the, the Lieutenant Garcia's office, played by, by Pepe Serna. And, and I don't know how I feel 
I mean, I know how I feel about it. He's terrible in the movie. He's all over the place, man. Yeah. He's got one gear, dude. And it, and he doesn't ever shift out of it. He doesn't even... He'd be better off putting in neutral once in a while. And he just doesn't. It's always... I'm in this high gear and I'm going to run it like this the whole movie without any regards to the situation <laughs> and how the dialogue works in the situation. I'm going to, I'm hard and that's it. So then Clint's in there and he starts running down the perps that he saw at the, the stakeout. Garcia just cuts him off and just says, Hey man, <laughs> homicide's taking over this case. So it's not yours anymore. It's like, well, this is bullshit, man. I've been working on working on this shit for a while. And they do this really weird move, probably the best move of the movie, though. And there's a weird move, and then we see Charlie Sheen standing there in the office. And Clint starts giving, is pitching Garcia, like, you know, this is a mistake. And he sees Charlie just standing there. He says, Garcia introduces them, and Clint goes, yeah, yeah, that's nice. And then he shuffles him out the door and closes it. <laughs> now, see, this I thought was funny. It did make me laugh. Yeah, it was uh, pretty good. This, yeah. All this, it, it, the way he did it, and like, sort of like, you know, it, it was very, like, you know, without him pushing it, it was like, yeah, shook his hand, closed the door on him. You know, it all kind of, it worked. That part worked for me. Yeah, I agree. And then Garcia says, let him back in because, you know, that's your new partner. <laughs> and then you almost get that lethal weapon guitar. Wah, wah, yeah. Right there. I'm too right? old. The, the, just before the I'm too old for this yes, shit moment. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Which is good. And uh, the only thing was missing was him saying, I don't, I'm a solo man. I don't, I don't have partners. That was like the one line, that cliche line that was missing from this. But yeah. he was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's something really weird. How much time has expired since the whole thing with how? I say it's only been a couple of days. Yeah. He sure, he sure not giving a shit about his boy is dead. Hey, you know what, man? That's cop's life. Yeah, I sense. think he just. Well, I think he just underlines the obsession he's got with with Strom. It just might. Yeah, man. Take I mean, on it's it. a right. I think yeah. this goes. He explains it pretty well later on. You know, when he's talking to Charlie about it, right? Why he's so? Why he's got such a boner for this guy? Right, and you got to strike while it's you know you got to strike while it's hot. Yeah. You can't. Uh, you know, you don't have time to mourn when you're. You know, you're on the. You're this fucking close, man. You're this close to putting Strom in the slam. Right. And we're in a casket. <laughs> and then Garcia is talking, talking Charlie up, you know, and Clint's like, oh, yeah, well, then how come his badge is upside down? Dude, that, so, I, I'm sure that might have even been an ad lib. Uh, yeah. Well, please do it again I mean, later. Well, of course they do, because what works once doesn't work <laughs> twice. Like I was, you know, when we get there, uh, I've got thoughts on that. Okay. Good. So as the two of them are walking, the new partners are walking through the station. The vets are giving Charlie all kinds of guff, you know, as he and Clint are leaving. Oh, that's terrible jokes. Yeah. They walk past the camera, and then Clint takes off the kick me sign that somebody put on the back of Charlie's back. Yeah. <laughs> Wet behind the ears. Be mm. careful. Da, da, da. The kick me. Th yeah, yeah. So we cut to Clint and Charlie sitting in traffic in Clint's truck and... <laughs> Just because we don't know enough about who Clint Eastwood is yet in this movie, he just basically goes, fuck this. And he drives around, <laughs> drives around all he this turns traffic. turns the light on, man. Fucking uh, sirens. <laughs> and oncoming vehicles. And then just goes around all the traffic. <laughs> That's it. I mean, just, oh, this is the kind of dude you are. And Charlie's like holding on to everything, like going, dude, you're going to kill me, man. This is my, I've been with you for 10 minutes. What the Charlie fuck? Charlie kind of looks like he's car sick and he's about to blow chunks because he's hungover. There's that too. So to get to this restaurant, I don't know what it was. I mean, we know it's a restaurant eventually, but was it? It's straight out of it's straight out of Beverly Hills Cop. Right. It, that, that's what I thought too. 
Yeah, yeah. Isn't it the place from Beverly Hills Cop? Could be. Sure feels like it. I mean, I like, yeah, yes. It, 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 let's just say it is. <laughs> right. And then so now Clint's given Charlie the rousing, you know, welcome to be my partner, you know, jabbing. He's given him <laughs> as they're kind of walking around like, where the where are they? I have no idea where they're at. And they they pull in front of this place and they go through like what seems like four different locations before you realize, oh, they're at some kind of hotel restaurant. I can't. Maybe yeah. it's a hotel, right? And I think going, it's, yeah, it's like the Beverly Palm Hotel. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, just giving them shit like, you know, give yourself a shoulder holster and <laughs> so you don't want to go around all half cocked, do you? Yeah. And just terrible lines like that and giving them shit for being overdressed. It's really weird, the whole thing. Um, they're just trying to make conversation as they're walking along, right? They get to the restaurant, and there's a podium there, the major D. It's all shitty saying, do you, you have a reservation? You? He might as well have went, you? <laughs> and, he's you know? a, right, and he's an older dude, okay? Right. And, and you're going to get to, and I'm going to make a point about this once I get there, and it's just a moment away. I mean, Clint badges him, and he just, and then he kind of goes, oh, yeah, right this way. And then we come upon Raul Julia and he's having spaghetti lunch with, with his boys and I think the representative for an Italian. Well, these are the guys that he owes money to. Right. <laughs> these are the guys he's stealing cars for. Right. And uh, they don't really say it. I think it was funny that they're eating spaghetti, by the way. <laughs> and he's drinking German beer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he walks up and Clint, he goes, oh, yeah. And he starts going, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? And Clint goes, Clint's like got the, this beer. I'm like, oh, man, this German beer, man. It's so gross, man. Gives at least an aftertaste and just <laughs> walks away. And then the people around Royal Julia's table are like, well, who's that guy, Micah? Just somebody that's. Just someone who doesn't have good taste in beer. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> Big. So we got to Clint and Charlie sitting at a table. And the server comes up and the class says, hey, you got kind of a light? And he's like, oh, there's no smoking here. And the, dirt, the server looks at David and he recognizes him. He's like, Mr. Ackerman. Mr. <laughs> like, Ackerman. It's been so long, I almost didn't recognize you. Hello, Chet, whatever his name is. How are you, George? <laughs> Fine, this is quite a surprise. I'll get you an, an ashtray. It's just a, so all, all of a sudden now he's cool. Right, got a light. <laughs> So then that Clint's like going, well, what the hell was that, man? You work here? So you used to, we used to work here or something? <laughs> yeah, something like that. You'll find out as we go. And I'm like, um, dude, did you, what a, had such a shitty writer move to say that yeah, word, that line. Right. It's so stupid. Oh, yeah. Lazy writing. We come back to Strom's table and Strom's getting some heat from the guys that he's been delivering cars to and, uh, or delivering money to. Like, I don't know, he's just, he's just paying them off or whatever. He's just giving, he's getting grief about it. And then we come back to Clint's table. And now we see Sonia Braga, the woman from the night before that delayed he and Hal from getting to that transport truck on time. I'm like, oh, maybe she has a bigger role in this movie after all. And then she walks up and sits at Strom's table. What? What is going on? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's weird, right? They're in cahoots. I still think Clint gets up in this moment. He goes over there to talk to Strom, but I think he's going there to show off to Sonia. <laughs> no, take. totally. He, he is. It's just kind of like he struts over there. <laughs> so I don't know if you're who I think you are, but if you are, you want to have this. And he sets down this. Palmer's partially, partially burned up police badge and sets it on the table and puts out a cigar and Strom's drink. Right. It's like he stuck his dick in his drink <laughs> right in front of Sonia. That's what he did. so good. 
right? I mean, that's kind of like, it just looks like a big cock sticking out of the glass and they're shooting over her. It's just, it's very weird. Right. I think you don't have that uneasiness about the whole moment if you don't know what happens later. Right. And when it does later on. And then it's like, oh yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. They were was going for. Yeah. You may think that he's meat and potatoes, <laughs> but uh, Clinton knows Clinton knows what buttons to push. Look There's at some creative rope. framing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So that's getting ready to leave. That's are leaving. The major D hits him up and is like, hey, what about your meal? I mean, that major D's got his head up his ass, by the way. He's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. If the young server recognized Charlie. Sure. Why didn't the older major D, who obviously has been there for a long time, didn't recognize him? Yeah, uh, you know, not sure. I'm just going to blame that on the lazy writing. Yeah, because the major D, out of everybody, he remembers faces. That's his sure, job. That's he's his he's job. a concierge for the restaurant. Right. And you think he doesn't know those Ackermans? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Enough to where the restaurant doesn't allow smoking and all of a sudden allow smoking for that person sure. that's with. Yeah. They're super rich, man. Fucking Ackermans. Those Ackermans. <laughs> are they really there or are they all on Charlie's head? No, we know he's really there because we see we see Tom Scare later on away from go, Charlie. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. This ain't fight club, man. Don't I gotta cut that out now, man. I'm sorry. If you haven't it's been twenty one years. If you haven't seen Fight Club yet, you're an idiot. You're never gonna see it after twenty one years, right? No, come on. Dude. You can't read about it without you can't read a review on why you should see it without them giving it away. Right. Because people suck. Hell, even the key art someone gives it away. Yeah, man. Come on. It shows it on the box. Yeah. So we cut to Clinton, Charlie, and it's nighttime. Again, they, yep. they, they like Suddenly to jump it's around. dark. It's dark. <laughs> day, night. Day, night. Day, and night. It's night. You know, I mean, I can t- I can buy the logic of it. Uh, don't they? Yeah, they go. They Now they're at the, uh, they cut to the, to the bar. No, um, they're, they, they're in the car driving and they're shoving donuts in their mouth and Clint's questioning, hey, what the hell was on that restaurant situation, you know, and then Charlie's giving it back to him instead of answering the questions like, hey, man, do you tell me what the fuck we're doing? Because <laughs> tell me what's going on with that guy at the restaurant, because I'm your partner and I need to know. And then we cut to Charlie and Clint walking into an auto body shop. And this is from Content Line. You know what a real criminal is? <laughs> Any man that would do this to a this car. car and they pull wide and it's just, <laughs> it's just Lotus Esprit and it's just lime green. <laughs> Dude, it's, yeah, it's, it's Aztec lime green. It's got that, it's, it's got glitter in the paint. It's so rough. And then we see this this guy, Max, with, with this blonde hair, the same dude that we saw roll up in the beginning that delivered the right. first stolen car. I'm like, oh. Oh, I see what's going on. Yeah, and Max is saying to Clint, hey, man, I just started a job a few weeks ago, man. I'm, I'm on the up and up. Don't, you know, don't fuck with the car. Don't do anything bad. And I, I, want, I need this job. And we cut to our man, Loco, <laughs> and he's close watching circuit. on closed circuit television of uh, uh, the garage that they're at. And he sees Clint and Charlie just talking up Max. He's like, oh, great. <laughs> and he fucking hears what he said about his car, and he's he all indignant. Yeah, he's all shitty. And then Raul tells him to settle down and says... Uh, Pretty rough slur about Mexicans. It brings up a point. Like, um, if you watch this movie on digital, um, I I watched it on iTunes, and I think you did too. Yep. The uh, closed captioning on this is actually closed captioning from either the TV or edit or an airplane, an airplane edit, and because nothing matches. I mean, the scenes themselves match, but the 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 
the rated R dialogue is not there. Hell, even the PG dialogue is not there. I mean, if no, you, it's if almost like it, you're. It's like you're watching a. Uh, it's like the it's like the closed caption from Murder She Wrote. <laughs> right. <laughs> And whatever, you know, like I said, whatever derogatory slur Raul Julia says in that moment, it, it's translated to you guys. <laughs> so, yeah, it's terrible. And that's some of the things I found just as funny that when I rewatched it was watching with the closed captioning because it's so doesn't match anything that's going on. Cut back to, to Max and Clinton and talking up, you know, informing for him and say, you need to give me some information, that kind of bullshit. So. Even though he wasn't recently up, he, he he's clearly not his go-to in in this case. But he's going to use him going forward. We later find out find out as little Felix, who we'll get to soon, was the guy that that helped him out. Then we cut back to so we cut to um to uh, Laura from Boyle and and Charlie talking in bed about their life together, and you know that the choices he's made about becoming a cop, even though he doesn't need to. But they never say why they did at this point. We don't know um, um, his his family history. We just, other than that one moment where he had a, had a nightmare well, about. I mean, I kid. feel like the act, the name Ackerman, and then the fact when he showed up in that police office and he looked like he was dressed, like he came just came from prep school academy. Like his jacket, I mean, he looked like he was in a uniform from like Harry Potter school. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, it kind of, you know, I mean, I'm, I've, when 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 the cat slid out of the bag, I certainly was not surprised in 1990 no. um, of why there's all this talk about why are you becoming a cop, David? You don't need to, David. Yeah. <laughs> yappa yappa yappa, David. Are yeah. we gonna get married? Are we married, David? I don't remember. No one's telling. It doesn't say in the script. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, Only in the credits. It's and this is another one of those movies too. You just kind of made a point of it. I don't know what it was around this time, but whatever your lead character's name was, the first name gets used almost like it, like it's Dude. a punctuation. Right. It's like Titanic. Jack Rose, Jack Rose, Jack Rose, it's Rose like, Jack. Like, yeah, like you ever played the drinking game for the Lost Boys? Anytime yeah. somebody says Michael, take Michael? a drink. I'm like, Dude, you're passed out before he ever gets in bed with Star. A hundred percent. Too much, man. You're, 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 it's before they even say Laddie's name, you're drunk. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, so we cut to uh, this biker bar, and Clinton and Charlie up are overlooking the biker bar. You know, like Charlie's like, what are we doing here? You know, Clint's like, this is where the fun starts. Pay like, attention. Are you sure? It shouldn't have started like 10 minutes ago when the movie started. <laughs> anyway, so they walk in the bar, and Clint is in, go get yourself a drink. Um, he's got an agenda he, he, and he just really, and as he said earlier, you know, Charlie's really there just to kind of keep him company. He's not, this yeah. is my job. I'm on the job. And he right. says that too, when they're staking out, uh, Raul Julia's place later on when he's sure when he's taking him out, he even says something about, you know, he says my work or my job. He's still at that point. This is my case. Yeah. So Charlie goes to, goes to the bar and, uh, orders a drink and, Bartender's being told prick, and he says, you know, eat balls and and blow smoke in his face. Right. Cut back to Clint. He's walking around, and we see that they're having a, they're having a dog fight, you know, right in the middle of the- Right in the middle of the bar on a pool, and, like near a pool tail or behind the so pool weird. tail. There's like a like a day pen for toddlers set up with dogs fighting in it. Right. And he looks across the across the pen and sees, sees little Felix. Played by Paul Ben Victor. I love Paul. 
I did too, man. I think he's great. I, Paul, I, was, I, I was so happy. I forgot he was in this movie. Yeah. What's it, funny too is watching him go all Alvato later on. Oh, but he's good. But he do when he does it. It's great. Yeah. Because for me, so again, I told you, I've been was kind of like half-assed watching Entourage again. And of course, you know, he plays the head of Warner Brothers, ironically. Right. In, the, in that. But to me, he played a role in a TV movie that I was so against, but then I really fell in love with. And maybe it's not very good, but I have such an affection for the Three Stooges. But he plays Mo Howard in a biopic about the Three Stooges. He's so damn good in it. And Michael Chiklis playing, um, playing Jerome, playing Curly. And yeah, dude, that's a fun one. If you can find that one, it's, it's, well, I should say fun. It's fucking heartbreaking to find out what happens to them financially and how they got fucked over, but the family itself and all the shit that they went through and, uh, nothing gets me more melancholy than talking about Curly because women fucked him over. Oh my gosh. It angers me every time I think about it. He he loved women and they would they abused him and they they took his money and didn't give a shit about him it was fucking terrible and that's what led him down that stroke that's why he was wasn't doing three studio shorts for a while and they brought Shemp in I love Shemp by the way I'm okay with Shemp I actually believe it or not I like Shemp more when he did like Abbott and Costello bits you know, when he was in Abbott and Costello movies. I like, I like him, him in the Thin Man movies. Yeah, that's what I mean. Him him away from studios, I'm good with. I'd. I don't know. I think it's just a childhood thing for me when he's with this teacher that kind of bugs me because the bottom line, dude, he looks too much like Mo. <laughs> That's the problem. At least when Curly had his head shaved, the only time Curly ever looks like looks like the rest of his looks like his brothers is when he has his hair, and he still kind of doesn't look like him. You know, they all look. He looks more like their mom, and they they look more like their dad. So Clint takes uh, Felix in the back and he starts asking about Loco, and he's trying to get some information out of him. And the feelings of, man, I need to be paid, man. I need paid for my information. So he hands him a couple of bags of heroin. <laughs> and well, I'm not talking, choking him. I'm not talking bad baggies here. I'm talking about. Looks like he's a half a kilo. Half a kilo. <laughs> Just slammed him in his hand. And I'm like, oh, he's all, his eyes get all big. And cut back to the, cut back outside now. Charlie's at the bar and, and then Loco walks up to him. He kind of reaches back to pay, and Loco walks away. And then Charlie reaches back to pay for a drink after the bartender says, you know, two bucks. And he turns and he's like, where's my wallet? And then you hear Loco. Hey, you tell your partner, Loco is here. <laughs> and he flashes him his badge. He just slowly walks out the door. And then Charlie goes, hey, and he starts to go for him. And all a bunch of the patrons in the bar, like, start, you know, tackle Charlie and start, start uh, tooling him up, right? And all of a sudden you hear, boom. <laughs> Pinata party. And Clint shoots his gun, badges the whole group, and it says... <laughs> Okay, and this is this line is sort of funny if you know what California. Totally, absolutely. Yeah, this only, only is this, this is only funny if you lived in California. In nineteen ninety. In nineteen ninety, <laughs> he said the line is, "All of you drive without auto insurance or under arrest," and of course everybody just laughs and. And he laughs. He has this kind of funny smile on his face. And Clint kind of grabs grabs Charlie. He's dragging him out of the bar, and then uh, do you hear this screaming out of nowhere? <laughs> Felix pops out of the back, calling Clint every other word, and he goes, "You give me talcum? This is just talcum powder." And he's got it all over his face. Yeah, and he's throwing every cliched 
Chinga to Madre. Yeah, totally, dude. It's yeah. just, it's, it's so, it's so, it's too much. And if you this can, was a loaded weapon, he would be ordering food. Right. That's how much, <laughs> exactly. that's, how, that's how over the top oh my it is. Gosh, it's that's great. so perfect. But, but, it's, but it's great, though. <laughs> so now we come back to the body shop that we were already at once before, right? We, we, uh, no, this is a different. So, right, this is a wrecking yard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which seems like it's which seems like it's right next, like it's just right, right down right, the street right, right. from the from the bar they just roused because they literally walk out of the bar. There's some conversation, and they walk right into the wrecking yard. You know what the most ninety thing is about nineties thing is about this movie? Yeah, the wardrobe choices, the shirts oh, that Charlie Sheen and Clint Eastwood are wearing. Yeah, those are so stuck in nineteen ninety. Oh yeah, and all of the. And all the baddies, with with the exception of Raul Julia, they're all wearing, you know, eighties wardrobe. They're oh, yeah. all kind of wearing the same. Well, they're all stunt people. I think that I think that the what is the ratio of there's like eighty stunt men. I think this is the I think this movie held the world's record for uh, stunt men to actor ratio. I buy that. Like it's three to one or four to one, four stuntmen for every actor in the movie. That's crazy. Some crazy shit like that. But yes, they all they, they all look like they and they're like they all look like they're wearing their own shit. <laughs> <laughs> From nineteen seventy eight. So we see Morales. He's kind of closing up the shop and everything, like closing up the the office. He gets in his brand new white beamer, and all of a sudden, boom! <laughs> and his crane magnet slams on top of his vehicle. And he's kind of feeling it get lifted up. He's like, what the fuck's going on? And he looks over, he sees Clint. He's he's inside the crane cab. <laughs> Cigar in his mouth. Cigar in his mouth. Just, I'm so glad Clint went to that crane driving school and knows how to operate it. He's like, all right, Morales. <laughs> you got to give you some information. I want to drop you in this crusher, you fucker. He's like, but my new car. <laughs> he's just having a fit about it. And anyway, while this is happening, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie's having an encounter with the watchdog. This beautiful Rottweiler, he's rad. And the whole time I'm like thinking, what, wasn't there another dog? I thought there was two dogs, right? And that's what I'm thinking. As he's getting chased by this one running away from him, he's running across all the, the tops of all these junk cars. Eventually finds one that he can jump in and hide in and get away from the get away from the uh, the one that's chasing him. Kepak Albert Morales finally sees it on Clint's terms. <laughs> he finally agrees after being swung in the air 40 feet off the ground. And Clint just drops the car. <laughs> he releases the magnet right? and just drops the car. And then out of nowhere, we hear gunfire. And Clint's like, what was that? So Clint run, runs off and he finds Charlie <laughs> with his gun drawn on two rots, just sitting there. And of course, and it's that time. Nice work, kid. Now reading the rights. Uh, yeah, this was this was kind of a funny thing because the first shot when Sheen is sitting in the front seat and he's looking through the, the windshield and it looks like Cujo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the reveal of the dog behind him is pretty good because it's like it's almost like Jurassic Park like. Yeah. Like clever girl, there's another dog behind him, <laughs> and then and then they go straight for Three Stooges. Yeah. Read him the rights, kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he just uh, I don't know. It's funny. So again, we cut to Clint's place, and he's again as if we were surprised by this. It's a, it's a no nonsense single floor, two plus two, and wherever the hell he lives, Chatsworth also, right? Maybe? No, that that to me looks like it's down somewhere. That looks like it's sort of like a, you know, like Highland Parkish. It's weird. It looks like you know because the or it's in the valley or it's Reseda, Lomita. 
<laughs> somewhere. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's cause it's got a big sort of yard and that shop it's somewhere. I mean, it, it, it feels like Clint lives in Reseda, I guess, or somewhere that. like that. It's that, it's that type of, yeah, it's that type of vibe. Anyway, so Tari's checking out all these old photos of Clint and black, white photos of him, like racing photos, like of him in race cars and things like that. And, and, uh, he's like, ah, yeah, those are old days. That's, you know, that's what Rare I used to stuff. do. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something you, men- you mentioned earlier. I don't know if we're recording or not about, uh. You know, yeah, I used to have a wife who was all shitty about, it was always oh, wife all shitty about your racing. He's like, no, she loved racing. She hated me. That kind of fun lines. And they make their way outside and Clint's got a motorcycle collection. Dude, it, right. I mean, what is a, what is a, what is a grand theft auto uh, detective fake? <laughs> right. He's got like, dude, he's got like six classic bikes. Right. He's got a Norton. He's got a Triumph and he's got a Deuce too. Right. And you get to the his uh, his FL, you get to the Harley, and you're like, all right, dude, just for the bikes alone, what do you got? Like 25, 30 grand worth of bikes? <laughs> if not more. If not more, right? And then, you know, the deuce is not cheap. And uh, you know, part, when you know some guy works for Grand Theft Auto and he's got all these cars and motorcycles, you're like, you have to get these again, Mr. Straight and Narrow? Right. Perks. <laughs> Perks. Perks of when no one's looking. Police auctions. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's how he gets them. Yeah, man. Because sure. he, he says, I'm a tinker. It isn't my shop, but I know shit about doing this stuff. I know how to ride them better than I know how to fix them. Yeah. Um, and so Charlie says, hey, you got, and he goes and sits on the Harley. By the way, that's intentional or it was an oversight by, by Charlie in his acting moment. But dude, who gets on somebody else's bike without asking? Right. I mean, I don't know, man. It seems like the kind of thing the Eastwood would have like said something like, Hey yeah. man. Yeah. You know, it's like fondling another man's woman. Right. <laughs> and do yourself a favor. If you're ever tied to a chair, don't have sex with them either. Yeah. It leads to nothing good. Well, that's not true. What, what yeah, happened to him? That's not true at all. <laughs> he was going to die anyway, right? Why not? Yeah. Well, that's like, dude, that's better than having a last minute smoke, right? That's the smoke that he never gets in the whole movie. I don't know. Anyway. So Charlie asked me, hey, you got the keys to the Harley. When he goes to the freezer to pull out the key. I was expecting him to pull out a frozen human hand, like in State of Grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this here's the hand of the owner of that, uh, of the motorcycle you're yeah, sitting right? on. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Well, that's how you got that. Okay, I gotcha. So Charlie puts the key in and he goes to turn it over, nothing. And then he reaches down, makes an adjustment and... Starts it up and Clint looks like impressed. Oh, looks like you're a good guy to have around. Looks like you're pretty handy with shit. And that comes into play later on a little bit. We're learning more and more about Charlie, man. Charlie's, Charlie, I mean, uh, he might be a little uptight, but he seems a little more educated than than your average police officer. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Jack of all trades. This might be the only intentionally funny moment in the movie for me that works. And we cut to a, uh, we're watching a TV interview going on, on TV, on actually on a TV. And Clint's being interviewed live and he's dropping F-bombs left and right. Dude, this is the best moment. Right? It made me laugh so hard. It's literally the only part of the movie that's supposed to be funny that is truly funny. 
I'm standing in front of an East L.A. garage, which is the latest link in a chain of almost half a dozen chop shops busted by the LAPD in the last three days. This is auto theft detective Nick Polovsky. Detective, you seem to have gone very much out of your way to make sure that we were here for these raids. Well, that's right, ma'am. I, uh, I realize that homicides and splashy robberies get uh, most of the headlines, but it's about time this sort of crime get the attention it deserves. Now, it's impossible to make a real debt, but it is possible to hurt the individual assholes who are fucking it up for everyone. Now, I happen to know of a trick that's responsible for the whole fucking operation, and that son of a bitch is hurting out there, and I'm fucking liking it. This is Connie Ling. It's so good. And then, uh, and then he kind of finishes saying what he's saying. All of a sudden, his foot comes out of nowhere and kicks the TV over and knocks it off the off the cart. And this figure walks into frame and off to the in the background. I'm like, oh, it's strong. He's been watching him on TV. He's all super pissed now, and he's got this rad deck overlooking the ocean. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, Raul Julio brings a um, a oh, yeah, level a certain gravitas yes. to the uh, yes. Um, Otherwise, a fairly pedestrian movie. Sure, man. I mean, he could have just been over. He could have gone full on Christopher McDonald. That's what I'm saying. I can't think of anybody else who would have played Strom the way he played him. No. Everybody else would have gone a different direction. And he totally, I mean, he's, he's very reserved. Even when he's, you know, even when he has his moments where he's, you know, like he's about to have with Morales. Right. And that's something else you point out too. We, we talked about how over the top most performances are in this movie. If you're not Clint or Charlie or uh, Raul Julia, you everybody's going for it, man. Like you said, they're super heavy handed. They they're they're totally over the top, trying to ring the bell. And I feel like one of the reasons why we see or feel his character standing out, his performance standing out so much from from Raul Julia, is because he's never in scenes with these people. Every he's always with the people that are best in the movie, which is good. Right. But I think, honestly, I think his performance would stand out even more if he was in those scenes, like with, with Lieutenant Garcia going over the top. He's like, he would have been more subdued, more controlled, and more right. obvious that he was very chill and, and, and confident in his situation, even though he's kind of walking down a dangerous path of owing the, you know, the mob money. And right after he kicks over the TV and he's standing at the edge of the deck, he he tells Sonia Braga, I'm like, you know what? We're going to have to, we're moving on again. And and I love that every time we're you see her, town. she's just loading a mag. She's just yeah. loading rounds into a, into her Uzi uh, magazine. I think she has 15 lines in the whole movie. Yeah. And, but the thing is like going, he, she doesn't need, and I, I always forget, she talks so little in this movie that when she talks, I'm like, oh, that's right. That's what your voice sounds like. I forgot. Because she doesn't like it. She doesn't speak a lot in this. And he cut back to Raul and he says, but first I have to tie up a few loose ends. But first we have to. Yeah, he, gets, he hits his old <laughs> German affectation. He, he's so, he's so good. The One of the things I kept thinking, and I said it out loud more than once too, but the two times I watched it in the last couple of days, is how much I missed having him, you know. Yeah. He, he, the, I don't think people realize. Uh, I think most people only ever really seen him in the Adams Family movies, and that's fine because I think he's. I was so poo pooing him when they made this movie because to me, John Aston is Gomez. That's it. You just don't bother. Don't even try. I mean, because we not only did we get Gomez, him playing Gomez in the Adams Family 
TV show, he carried over the voice over to Scooby-Doo too. He is the guy. So when Raul Julia came on, he won me over like the first 10 minutes of the movie of the first Adams family. And Mike, and because I think that was probably the one movie I've seen him in most is, is that. And then of course it made me want to dive back in, but uh, man, we miss this dude in a big way. He, oh, yeah, seemed, he seemed like a, a total sweetheart. He seemed like he wanted to eat, was constantly given to his coworkers and to the crew. Um, not just his time, but just accolades. He was always very, always really appreciative of the fact that he was in a position and making a living doing what he wanted to do. This movie's no exception. He, even though he probably looked at the script and go, what the fuck am I doing? This movie's so above, below me. But he owns the part and he never, he never takes it too far. He must have, he must have went to the screening of this, right? And thought, what the fuck's everybody else doing? <laughs> uh, something, man. Yeah, because he's so controlled and so subdued. And then, like I mentioned before, every scene that he's in, everybody around him is very controlled. They feed off of his performance. And maybe that's it. Maybe that is the key that when people are all aggro later on or ag in the aggro scenes, they're, everybody is aggro in the scene together. So maybe I'll just kind of feed off of each other. Yeah, I mean, for me, like I, dude, like I said, this is one of my favorite performances. It's my yeah. second, I mean, I, I'm also a big fan of him in To Kill Sunrise. Oh my god! I think he's, you yes. know, he's fantastic. Uh, presumed Innocent. Um, Kiss of the Spider Woman, man, was the first thing I ever, that I remember seeing him. And yeah. then, I, then the next thing I saw him in was uh, Compromising Positions. I mean, he was <laughs> always, I mean, the guy was always fantastic, no matter right. what the movie was. Um, he wasn't a showy actor. Uh, he showed up and he delivered real performances always. And, you know, when he got to do the Adams family again, I was like, Ooh, how's this all going to work? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, so like now he is Gomez to me. I yeah. try to go back oh, and yeah. watch the series and I'm like, mm, yeah, I, yeah. Raul Julia, man, <laughs> kind of took over the mantle of uh, Gomez. For right. Me. And that's my, that's, that's the thing is like, I had 20 something years of, John Aston Bean, that's my Gomez. That's my Gomez. He was the only Gomez. Yeah. Both both of the Adams Valley movies are so much fun. You know, I have to say, I'm so glad I didn't see Kiss of the Spider-Woman until I was an adult because I wouldn't have got the movie. I think we talked about before about other movies where Eating Raul, you are talking about Eating Raul earlier, being, being guys that paid attention to conversations about movies and hearing about movies and you that's how i mean that's how i heard about eating raul from just adults talking about it when we were younger and watching it and not getting it i'm like i don't think i was meant to see this yet it's the same thing with kiss of the spiral and i'm glad i didn't see it when you're hearing it all talked up because i would not have understood my my teenage mind couldn't comprehend that my teenage mind was you know was just very myopic in my views and uh, once I got around to seeing as an adult, I'm like, oh, yeah, I would have, this would have been a terrible experience if I saw this when I was 15. Oh, it's funny because I did see it when I was 15. I, I was all, I was, but I was into William Hurt and all that. I mean, I, you know, I'd always, I was like, yeah, fucking William Hurt. I mean, none of that really, but I, I was just fucking fascinated by the whole, the performances and like the subject matter didn't, I didn't even think about it. Uh, it was weird because, I, you know, I grew up in a, area where it probably 
that movie would have never played in Visalia in a theater. Right, and that's kind of what I was getting I watched getting it at work. At, yeah. I watched it at work at a video store. And then, you know, uh, I took it home and watched it and was like, God, oh, that was crazy. What, what kind of fucking movie? It was, the, it was one of the movies I saw early on that kind of opened up my eyes to, like, international cinema and, yeah. uh, you know, stepping outside of the box of Police Academy and Weekend Pass and, um, you know, Up the Creek, all movies that I loved. But, you know, I mean, when you're 14, 15, right. you know, seeing something like, you know, and again, so I was kind of a fan of his at, from then on. Kiss at the Spider Woman is something that everybody needs to see. I mean, it, it really is, like you said, both both William Hurt and Raul's performances in there are so, even Sonia Braga, again, she doesn't have a lot of dialogue in that movie. <laughs> she's not, she's no. not in it a lot either. She's not in it a whole lot. Dude, yeah, the, man, that's a wonderful movie. And again, it's it's like you mentioned, and I mentioned earlier, the subject matter um, is probably a little more mainstream now, I have to say, that, than it sure was back then. I don't think it was, I think that was one of the reasons too why it, why it got so much press wasn't just the performances. It was kind of some of the content might've been like, you don't put this, you're not supposed to put this in a movie. You can't put this in a movie. What are you doing? Who's this for? And it becomes that whole thing. And while Julia, wonderful performer and he's missed every time you turn around. Right. Like I mean, should, this is, yeah. this is him and Braga's third movie together too. Right. Right. Like, Cause yeah. they've done moon over Parador mm -hmm. in, in between this and Spider-Woman. Oh my gosh. Moon um, over Parador. There you go. You want, you want to, uh, I'm surprised too how many people haven't seen that movie. It's Mazursky. Moon over Parador. So good. And if you really, if you needed a, a, a reason to um, see a, a Dreyfus movie that you probably haven't seen before, there it is. Oh my gosh, the movie's so good. Let's play some turning the record over music. Play. Turn over the record, 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 turn over the record. Turn over the record. Turn over the record. Turn over the record, turn over the record. Turn over the record, 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 turn over the record. Right now! 